My name is Lewis. I'm a compulsive overeater and addict. Um, I've been, uh, my phone number is 510-846-4607 and I live in Oakland, California. Um, I've been in program for 21 years. Uh, next week, October 6th is the anniversary date of my first meeting. And uh, I came in 21 years ago. I was a 470-pound meth addict. And right now, I'm uh, maintaining over 200-pound weight loss. Um, I bring up the meth um, just uh, to give you some kind of idea of uh, how much of a problem I had with compulsive eating. Uh, uh, and I think a lot of the meth was around the food and my weight, trying to control it. Uh, and I, I did that for over 20 years, uh, compulsive eating and, and uh, trying to control it with meth. So um, just to give you uh, some kind of idea of what kind of compulsive overeater I was, uh, shortly before I came into program, um, there was a restaurant, uh, not a restaurant, but a kind of a drive-in, a walk-in, walk-up, and it was late at night on a uh, Friday night, and I was standing in a long line, and I just <clears throat> had got up to be next in line uh, in front of the register, and the person uh, in the line next to me uh, pulled out a gun and was robbing the place. And you know, as a compulsive overeater, I had a tough decision, and uh, this is this is kind of addict logic for me. You know, I had a choice between standing in line and risk getting shot or something like that, or uh, getting out of line and having to go to the back of this long line again. And as a compulsive overeater, I stood in line. And truth be told, uh, I was certainly much more danger to myself than the guy standing next to me with a gun because he just wanted to rob the place. And as far as I can tell, I was actively involved in trying to kill myself with food. So uh, those are the limits. I would, you know, that's the kind of uh, uh, depth I would go or the, the, how far I would go to try and uh, get my food. And my drugs was, uh, you know, I would risk, you know, standing in line late at night in Oakland, you know, risking getting shot to, to get the food I wanted and needed. So um, in high school, I didn't really have a problem with food. I played sports all the time, so it really didn't show up. Uh, I grew up in Louisiana, uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana, which is northern Louisiana. It's a very conservative area. Uh, I went to a uh, all-Catholic boys school. And I mean, I had Catholic all-boys school, and then uh, I moved to uh, California after I graduated from high school and ended up at uh, Santa Barbara in a college, uh, co-ed college with co-ed dorms at the time, or at least it seemed like that. And so it was a quite a culture shock, and I dived right in and uh, started acting out with drugs and food and everything else in sight. Um, I was able to, to uh, you know, gain 100 pounds and lose 100 pounds and gain 100 pounds and lose 100 pounds. I could do diets. They weren't the healthiest diets. But I seemed to be able to do that for quite a while. And my experience was um, I could diet um, and I would get down to goal weight. And basically, I could diet as long as I hated myself. As soon as I stopped hating myself enough, the diet would no longer work, and I would start gaining the food, you know, putting eating and, and putting the weight back on. And that went back and forth, and uh, I was able to go through a lot of different things, and I never handled transitions very well, and that's what ended me up at 470 pounds, and and uh, uh, right before I came into program, I'd been laid off. I had a job for about 12 years. I had a lot of good training on that job. 
and it was very physical work, so I stayed in moderate shape, you know. Uh, I was still over 300 pounds uh, when I left the job, but over the next year and a half or two years, I put on about 150 uh, pounds and got up to 470. So I was totally helpless uh, uh, and incapacitated by the disease. I basically never left my apartment. You know, I would every once in a while, I would try and go out with friends, and I would always make some excuse at the last minute. And then I did go out to one thing. I went to a Springsteen concert, and I'm a big music lover. And I went to that concert, and instead of having three hours of joy, I had three hours of hell because, you know, I tried to sit in a normal seat, and my knees were up around my chin. I was cramped, and uh, I didn't enjoy one bit of the concert. And the week after that, basically, I went to my first OA meeting. Um, the other thing that happened, uh, so I went to my first OA meeting, and I consider that the most important thing I've ever done in my life. Because if I hadn't done that, I certainly would be dead by now. I mean, there are not many 70-year-old, uh, 470-pound addicts walking around these days. So um, I went to that first meeting, and I was pretty devout atheist, uh, pretty dogmatic about it, in fact. And the newcomer greeter talked about God, and I never saw this again, but... Um, it was a church meeting, and they had the old couches that were, you know, soft and the springs out of them. And, you know, this was the first time God did for me what I couldn't do for myself because I couldn't get out of that, that couch by myself. I had to have help at the end of the meeting. If I could have gotten out by myself, I probably would have got up and walked out when the person started talking about God. I had to sit there the rest of the meeting, and um, I heard some amazing things. I started listening to people and the stories they told about losing weight. Uh, there was a man there that had, uh, had lost, uh, he had been over 400 pounds, and he would lost it close to 200 pounds. And I never heard stories like that before. Um, so, you know, that got my attention. Uh, at the end of the meeting, we held hands and said a prayer. And the most important thing, and, and I think this is so critical for our fellowship, is as a newcomer, two people, I hadn't said anything. I had introduced myself, you know, at the beginning of the meeting. That was it. I hadn't shared or anything. But two people came over and asked if they could give me a hug. And those two people, it was like they put my hand. That's what kept me coming back. It wasn't the idea of losing weight. It wasn't just that kind of human contact because, you know, I don't care how much you tip the pizza guy, but you don't, you don't get any hugs from the pizza guy when he delivers the food to you. So um, the, one of the people... Uh, that gave me a hug was uh, the man that had lost over 200 pounds and he started calling me, started talking to me about program, he would invite me to other meetings and I started going to other, uh, you know, a couple other meetings and, you know, I, I wasn't positive I could do the program and I wasn't positive I wanted to do the program because God stuff bothered me a lot still. And uh, what happened was I went down to a family reunion and, you know, uh, it was my aunt's birthday and this kind of a, rev uh, you know, uh, somebody that, uh, that everybody in the family loved deeply. And it was her 80th birthday or something like that. And so I was staying at my mom's place and I went to get in the shower and I couldn't even fit in the shower. Basically, I had to disassemble the whole shower wall, the sliding doors and everything to get in the shower and uh, sitting there putting it back together. My mom's pounding on the door, asking me what's taking so long. And 
you know, I didn't want to tell her I had to take the shower part to get in and take a shower. So, you know, I went to the, the um, reunion, sat in the corner. I was pissed off. I was pissed off at all my relatives who I thought were stupid and ignorant. And uh, I didn't agree with their politics. I didn't agree with them. And I was one very angry person. But that experience, I think, pushed me over the edge and made me realize that I needed some help and I needed to go to OA. So I went back, I started going to a couple more meetings, and then I asked this person to be my sponsor, uh, the guy that had been calling me. And that was the second most important thing I ever did. I think that's when I did step one. I admitted that I was powerless, that I was a compulsive overeater, and that I certainly needed help. So uh, we started going to meetings, I started doing service, and again, service was critical for me because you know when you're 470 pounds and you hardly ever leave your apartment, your self-esteem gets to be pretty low. And service was so critical because for the first time in a long time, I felt like I had something to contribute. And uh, I got so excited about things like putting up chairs, you know, putting chairs, like putting the chairs out, putting chairs away, uh, putting the literature out, because all of a sudden I felt like I had something to contribute, and that was a great feeling. And the fellowship did that, and we had very strong fellowship. You know, we had people would hang around afterwards, uh, and uh, people would go out to movies on the weekends, and newcomers were really welcome. And that's the kind of service I started doing, and, and I have been doing for 21 years. I do a lot of newcomer meetings. Um, you know, uh, I, I love working with newcomers. I especially love people working with 100-pounders. Um, and so I was on my way. So um, I was having a lot of problems with the higher power, and um, I, I couldn't figure out a higher power. I, you know, I really didn't want to believe it. Um, but I was sitting in my apartment one night, and I started working a food plan, and I got an abstinent, and I was losing a lot of weight. And probably, you know, four months in the program, I'd lost 100 pounds. And for some reason, I decided that the two ounces of cheese in my food plan was too much, and I needed a stricter abstinence, and the only way as an addict I could figure out to get to that abstinence was instead of talking to my sponsor and changing my food plan, I decided that I need to order a couple of pizzas that night, break my abstinence, and start again with a, a, a new clean abstinence the next day. And again, to me, that's, that's perfect addict logic. You know, what better reason to go out and eat and to break your abstinence so you can have perfect abstinence the next day? And I sat down, and I reached over for the phone, and every part of me wanted to make that phone call. But I couldn't pick up the phone, and I couldn't make the phone call. And then even stranger, I got up and started walking. You know, I took a walk late at night, probably 11.30 at night, took a walk. It was cold and rainy now. By now it was, uh, you know, late February or March. And I walked around the block, and it had been a long time since I'd done anything like that. So at that point, I was convinced that I had a higher power. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that there was a power greater than myself that had kept me from ordering that pizza. And so I started going to a lot of meetings. You know, I would go to seven, 10, 15 meetings a week sometimes because I, I still wasn't working. Um, I got a, a new sponsor, and we started working step three. And again, with step three, I had a lot of problems, you know, trying to turn my will and life over to a higher power that I had no idea what it was uh, or if I even believed in it. And um, so 
you know, I was at the point where I'd lost a lot of weight. I'd lost over 200 pounds, uh, and I, I needed to go back to work. I would get these applications. I had great skills for those applications, but I couldn't fill the applications out. And so uh, my sponsor, I asked him what I should do, and he said I needed to do my fourth step. And, you know, that, again, uh, I still hadn't figured out what my higher power was, power greater than myself. I still wasn't sure I believed in it. But when I did my fourth step, I find that I had to believe in something. You know, it's, it's hard to go through your fourth step if you don't have some faith on the other side. Again, I would never recommend to anybody that they try and do a fourth step without the sponsor. Because one of the things I found when I did my fourth step, I'd always thought I was one kind of person. Uh, there's a saying in program of peop about people that, uh, that judge themselves by their intentions, intentions while other people judge us by our actions. And, you know, that's what I found. I mean, I went through my fourth step and I was, I was, you know, I was horrified about the kind of person I really was. And what my sponsor was able to do was <clears throat> talk to me and say, you know, told me some of the things he had done. And this was the person I had a great deal of respect for. You know, he, he, uh, as far as I can tell, he led a great life. Um, and he had recovered. And he had recovered from the things he had done. So having somebody say that, and, you know, just to give you an idea, uh, one of the things I was most ashamed of, my mom, uh, several years before that, had had a heart attack. And she lived in another town. And uh, my sister called and wanted me to go, you know, help her. And I told my mom that uh, I was just starting a new job, which was a total lie, and I couldn't, I would have to travel and, and miss work, and so I couldn't do that. And, you know, what, what my sponsor told me was I couldn't take care of myself, so how could I take care of my mom? And so that, you know, that kind of stuff uh, uh, really helped me recover. Uh, it, it allowed me to forgive myself and, uh, you know, start doing I did step four and I did step five. And what I really discovered what my step three was, uh, turn my will and my life over to the care of a power greater than myself, was that by doing the rest of the steps, that's what I was doing. I was, I was doing step three. For me, doing step three means you're going to do step four and five and six and seven and eight and nine and 10 and 11 and 12. Uh, that's turning my will, my power, and my will over the care uh, of something greater than myself is by doing those steps. And all of a sudden, you know, I was able to, uh, you know, work on filling out applications. I was terrified of interviews because I had this two-and-a-half-year gap in my employment. And, you know, other things started to happen. People in the fellowship, I would talk about these things in the meeting, which I find is always one way to get help in this program is when you talk about and your... reminder, you have five minutes left. Thank you. So anyway, uh, to make a short story, a uh, long story short, um, two people that were managers in the program said they would work out with me on my interviews. And I was one of those guys that really considered the only good manager a dead master. And that these two people, you know, they'd heard me talk, they knew kind of my feelings, and to have them come up and say, hey, we'll help you get through this process and prepare you for the interviews was very powerful. Again, the fellowship, and that's, that's become my higher power. So I ended up, uh, you know, after about a year getting a job, uh, it ended up being kind of a dream job. And uh, last, uh, last month or two months ago, I just retired from that job after 17 years. Since then, uh, I, you know, I got married. 
uh, we have a nice home, and I really have a life beyond my wildest dreams. And so there's there, none of that would have been possible without this fellowship and without OA. Um, my recovery uh, is is all you know due to that. So one of the things I want to talk to, and, and this is a special problem I think for hundred pounders especially, is um, when <clears throat> we wear our disease. And too often I think when we're in meetings, and it's harder now that we're in phone meetings or Zoom meetings. But we see our fellows and we see our friends and it's clear that they're in trouble, you know, with the food because they're putting on weight. Uh, they're not, you know, um, they may not be acknowledging it or talking about it, but they're slowly losing grip of uh, abstinence and, and their life's changing and not for the good. And two of my friends in the program kind of ambushed me. Actually, one of them was my wife and, and a close friend. Ambushed me one night at dinner. You know, we went, went out to dinner, and they said they wanted to talk to me. And, um, you know, uh, they started talking to me about they, they thought I was in trouble. And was there anything they could do to help me? And then I had a conversation later on with both my wife and my friend. And they were concerned, and they wanted to know if I was angry for them. And to me, that was a change, one of the big changes in myself. was because before I came in the program, my aunt, my mom, my sister talked to me about having surgery, going to a clinic, doing anything I could, anything they could do to help me um, lose the weight and get healthy. And what I heard, you know, it was, it was a bondage of self. What I heard was, we don't love you the way you, we, you are. We want to change you. And what I heard from my friends, you know, uh, you know, seven, eight years later, once I was in recovery, is uh, we love you. We want you to be healthy. We're concerned about you. So how can you get angry with that? And I think a lot of times we don't talk to each other enough honestly about checking in with each other and seeing if people are in trouble. You know, when somebody's in a meeting, people go, sure. But, you know, most of us know it before somebody brings it up in a meeting. And I just think that that's so important, you know, because we have a deadly disease. And people don't turn it around by themselves. We need each other to be successful in this program. Uh, we need the phone calls. We need the visits. We need the meetings. Uh, we need to be in each other's lives. And to me, that's uh, the fellowship is my higher power now because time and time again, they saved my life. I had all kinds of miracles in my life. Um, you know, a friend of mine, uh, and, and I'll kind of close on this, is uh, a friend of mine that came into the program, she was very young. She, you know, her her mom was an AA, and she started going to, uh, yeah, I guess, Alateen meetings. And from there, she found out about OA, and she joined OA uh, when she was 17. She said she had been in OA her entire adult life. And I'm 67 years old, and I now know that I've been in OA my entire adult life. My only problem was I was 46 when I got here. And I think that's what OA has done for me is it's taught me how to grow up and how to be an adult and how to be responsible and how to treat people with respect and how to apologize for my mistakes and how to have the humility and the courage. And to me, humility and courage are wrapped up to make mistakes. Um, if you're terrified of apologizing, um, 
you can't, you know, you're terrified of making mistakes. Uh, I had a teacher, okay, I just close on this. I had a teacher, he said there's two kinds of people that don't make mistakes. People that lie about it and people that don't do anything. And I didn't want to be either one of those people. So uh, I think that humility has allowed me to live a life uh, beyond my wildest dreams and uh, live a life in this fellowship. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you, everybody, for their service.